Welcome to the Security Weekly News Take 2. Today, Elon, Jerry Lee Lewis, Colonial Pipeline, of course, Net Neutrality Redux, Lemon Duck, Rico, and Jason Wood. All this and more on the Security Weekly News. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. It's the show that keeps you up to date on the latest security news twice a week. Your trusted source for accurate security information and expert analysis. It's time for Security Weekly News. Cyber criminals are working overtime. They're leveraging activity around the COVID vaccine to disguise phishing attacks, hoping to steal money or personal information from your employees or customers. The Barracuda Email Threat Scanner is a free tool you can use right now to help protect your business and ultimately your reputation. The Barracuda Email Threat Scanner analyzes your Office 365 accounts and identifies malicious emails that slip past your gateway and into inboxes. Find the cybersecurity threats hiding in your Office 365 email. Use the Barracuda Email Threat Scanner for free right now at securityweekly.com forward slash barracuda. All right, it's the week of 9 May. Let's check out the news. Panic at the Wawa. Well, Colonial Pipeline. Okay, so you probably never heard of Colonial Pipeline until you heard about it last week. But they do indeed provide about 45% of all oil and gas through giant pipes. I mean, big ones from Texas to Teaneck. And well, they've got, they got ransomware. Yep. Uh, they claimed, uh, and there's not a lot of details about exactly what happened, but they claimed that the OT, and for all you non-ICS types, that's the control systems networks that are supposed to be isolated from the regular networks. They're often not, but they're supposed to be, was not affected, but they did shut it down. So that's probably air gapping kind of thing. So that means their pipes don't work right because the pipes are all controlled by valves and all this other kind of weird stuff. Um, not much detail on what the ransomware was, but it has been attributed to a group called Darkside APT, which is a ransomware gang, and they apparently used the Riot framework typically on, on their attacks, and the FBI was uh, the people that released that. Darkside's Russian language ransomware gang that offers ransomware as a service is their big thing, so it may not even been them. It may have been them offering it as a service to somebody else, but this may be the beginning of the focus on cybersecurity uh, in the future since Wawa's everywhere, and a note for all of our southern friends, a Wawa is a mini mart or a convenience store. It's a bodega in New York City, or it could be a quick stop if you're from Red Bank but uh, or you're Kevin Smith, but I digress. Wawa's everywhere been jacking up gas prices, and everybody's holding hoarding oil, gas, and lighter fluid, and it seems that the end is near, according to certain news sources. Uh, this prompted action from President Biden on Sunday to write a regional emergency declaration, which basically said that truck drivers in these affected areas could operate under the emergency relief rules and circumvent all the safety restrictions that normally are placed on truck drivers, which makes it sound like a really fun time to be driving through, like, you know, the southeastern part of the United States, since all the truck drivers are like, hey, we can make a whole lot of money hauling, hauling gas from New Mexico to, you know, New Jersey. So, and we don't have to take our required rest breaks. And so, yay. Uh, anyway, I, I, I don't know. Well, there will probably be a lot more on this colonial pipeline story to come. Uh, I think my favorite and sad story of the week has to be that about 80% of the net neutrality comments for the hearings were all fake. So if you forgot, back in 2017, when the world was young, former President Trump's friends were in charge, 
and like them or not. And the big telcos, like them or not, wanted to take advantage of uh, the people that Trump had put in charge of all these agencies. And so they proposed that certain FCC rules that required all internet traffic to be treated equally. Uh, so that meant that if I put up a web server and you put up a web server, that there's not supposed to be some kind of inequity between those things. And they wanted these rules rolled back so that they could sell service lanes so that, you know, you get a platinum lane and I get a bronze lane and that's how all that worked. And they proceeded then to lobby, which means donating lots and lots of money to politicians in Washington uh, to have the rules changed. Not, none of that's illegal or anything. That's just what goes on. Basically, this would turn the internet into the equivalent of the election process uh, and allow the person with the most money to drive the most traffic to their site. Very capitalistic. So again, if you're a big supporter of such things, then you might have been all for it. Well, anyway, the FCC did what it does, and they held hearings. And, and they, they're typically aired on C-SPAN, like late at night, and insomniacs and confused partiers and like, you know, meth addicts and stuff, or, you know, turn it on and wonder what it is. Um, but this time it had a lot more traction because uh, the telcos hired marketing and PR companies to write fake letters supporting the change to the tune of about a half a million letters from fake people to the Congress saying, you know, I support net neutrality. What a great idea. We should repeal these horrible rules that have been destroying my life for years and years and years. Signed, John Q. Smith, Dallas, Texas. Okay. Okay, but so now, unless uh, you accuse me of bias against the poor telcos, uh, that was a drop in the bucket compared to a 19-year-old college student who was very incensed that net neutrality might be repealed, and he filed more than 7.7 million comments using scripts. Now, I have a great Python library that generates names, email addresses, regular addresses, zip codes, phone numbers, whatever you want. So you just throw it in there and tell it how many times to run, and it will generate you giant databases full of fake people. And in fact, I'm going to add to it where it'll go out and reach out to that uh, this person is not real website and put a picture of them with it, too. So pretty soon I'm going to get like, I'm just going to apply for like 100,000 Ohio driver's licenses or something with different people because, you know, why not? It would be kind of fun to have this giant stack of driver's licenses. Anyway, then I'll go to jail. But needless to to say the rules were rolled back uh the 19 year old did not spend a lot of campaign contributions lobbying and they were immediately came under fire though so the order from trump uh which was called get this the restoring internet freedom order ultimately failed tip if you want to build a medical waste dump in town don't call it a medical waste dump call it the center for peace and freedom instead because then people will support it and that, you know, if you call it the medical waste dump for the disposal of toxic waste, people tend to be against such things. Just like that. The Internet Freedom Act. Yeah. Even though it was the, pretty much the exact opposite of that. Anyway. So I'm really tired of this story. But guess what? People are still not patching Microsoft Exchange. So a new cryptocurrency mining botnet called Lemon Duck uh, is now using the proxy login exploits uh, to basically... Uh, and they've put their proxy login exploits into their toolkit. So Lemon Duck added it, and they're adding they using Cobalt Strike. Uh, I, am I confused? Uh, the Lemon Duck group uh, basically uses East Asian top-level domains to disguise their command and control servers and other architectures. So you know they're out there. Lemon Duck is a Monero miner, uh, but this toolkit can do most anything as it is a framework which is very very versatile. So you know if you are not patching Microsoft Exchange. People like this are building frameworks so that they can literally inject just about anything. And it's not just ransomware. They may be injecting backdoor Trojans and other stuff. It's going to be very hard to get rid of later. So come on, patch this stuff.
Um, the much already malign, the already much maligned Apple AirTag product is a sophisticated tracking device worthy of James Bond. How did you know I was here, Mr. Bond? Ah, oh, Mrs. Roundbottom, I hit an Apple tag in those meefwees we had with the Philippinat Clodagua last night, um, making you feel a bit blue tooth. Yeah, I could. I see. I could write for Bond movies. Old ones, anyway, not new. New ones are much more posh than that, but the old ones, anyway. Roger Moore kind of James Bond movie. Anyway, the AirTag is this little button that you can hook on whatever you want, including Smirsh agents, if you want to do that. And it lets you track them with your iDevices, of course. Reputedly, the AirTag is pretty resilient to hacking, but, well, it, it actually pretty much is. But Limited Results, who's a cyber researcher, sent a burst of electrical interference into the power supply during startup and was able to blank out the commands that suppress the debugging mode. And, but it did leave the chip in a, in a running state. So they were, he was able to get the chip into a state where he could actually potentially uh, execute commands against the chip. Um, Gid, oh, uh, Gid, uh, Ghidra Ninja, which is actually a lot easier to say than it looks when you write it out. Ghidra Ninja use, uh, uses that same technique to jailbreak the AirTag and subsequently use the lost tag feature uh, so the way the AirTag works is if somebody walks past you with Bluetooth turned on and they, and they try to connect to your AirTag, it, it sends them to a website called found.apple.com and they can report a tag that they've encountered. Uh, he, could, he found that he could jailbreak it and then redirect people to some other website. I mean, it was all research stuff, so he wasn't actually doing this. So normally the chip detects all this, takes care of it, sends you to found.apple.com. In this case, you know, maybe not. So to be fair, all this is pretty esoteric. It requires a chip to be modified and still be running. It required, you know, all kinds of sophisticated tactics, uh, you know, and so unless you let someone track you, the AirTag seems to be pretty safe, but tracking chips are a coming thing, and I can really see this type of technology being used for some sort of non-repudiation in the future. So who knows? So keep an eye on these things. Dell has patched the bugs found in 2020 in the Dell Windows kernel drivers. So Dell has been uh, had this for a while. The whole there was a whole series of vulnerabilities that have been going on since like 2009, but they have now a collection called 20, uh, CVE 2021-21551 uh, and it contains about I think it was like 19 total bugs in that set, but it dates back to before some of you were born in 2009. Uh, and it's found now, uh, probably most of you were born in 2009, but it's found in more than 300 Dell models and 200 end-of-life Dell models. So a lot of different models of Dell equipment have got these bugs in them. Um, they do have a manual fix. If you read this article, they go through this sort of thing that, that doesn't look very hard to me, but it's basically going in and deleting some stuff from the, uh, the systems library, and it should work. But not everybody can do that or recommend that for their thousands of users in their enterprise. Uh, and if you don't really feel comfortable with it, Dell has finally patched the error after all these years. I don't think it was a huge issue because it could, I mean, some of them were severe, but you couldn't remotely access it. It would allow users, however, that were on these systems to issue low-level config commands into the driver, which could result in the driver crashing, causing denial of service attack, or even escalate privileges. Another version of this, another one of the bugs in there, allowed you to write to the hard drive. All this was pretty low level, but all of it also had the opportunity to start escalating. So... It never apparently resulted in large-scale abuse, but 
I reported it because I want you to patch it before someone figures out a really good way to exploit this with a framework, and then we end up with more of these kind of attacks. Since we seem to be on patching today, Google released yet another Chrome patch this week. This one addressed 19, uh, this is where I got the 19 from, 19 additional security flaws with 13 of being high security. Uh, not a lot of information about the flaws because Google doesn't typically release very much information about what they're doing or why. And they didn't say if they had seen any of these flaws in the wild. But again, this takes, uh, this was like almost every week now, there's a, a set of Chrome patches for something pretty serious. Somebody will figure out a way to exploit it if you don't patch it. So when you see that update button on Chrome, uh, patch it, or, you know, I guess you could switch to, to, you know, something else. Um, Four people pled guilty to RICO conspiracy for hosting cybercrime services. Now, if you have never seen a gangster movie, uh, RICO is the racketeering-influenced and corrupt organization law in the United States, which allows for the prosecution of things that are considered to be under the control of organized crime. So every gangster movie, every, every police show ever, people are getting gone after with RICO. So you always hear the gangsters talk about that. Well, this is, that's what it is. It was a law that was passed to allow them to prosecute people for conspiracy so they didn't have to try to prosecute them for stuff like tax evasion a la Al Capone. So four defendants from Eastern Europe pled guilty to RICO charges for providing what they called bulletproof hosting. Uh, and this bulletproof hosting they were selling was used to distribute malware specifically targeting U.S. organizations. The four, uh, I guess now felons, uh, rented IP addresses, servers, domains, you name it, to cyber criminals, according to the Department of Justice. The group was hosting Zaius, SpyEye, Citadel, and the Black Hole Exploit Kit, uh, all of which were active between 2009 and 2015. Uh, their hosting agency also offered services to monitor uh, block lists that were put out by law enforcement, law enforcement websites, and law enforcement announcements that they that might be involving their customers. Uh, the case was handled by a joint task force from the FBI, Germany, Estonia, and the United Kingdom. All four of these people face a maximum 20-year penalty, and since they pled guilty, I guess they'll probably get just that. Uh, anyway, when we return, Jason Wood. Stick around. As technology continues to evolve and expand, so have the attackers that put our critical systems in jeopardy. Core Impact from Core Security is a penetration testing tool that safely finds vulnerabilities using the same techniques of adversaries. With certified exploits and wizards that guide you through critical pen tests while maximizing the time of advanced testers by automating their routines. With Core Security, you can safeguard your infrastructure by limiting access, detecting threats, testing for security weaknesses, and efficiently monitoring data. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash core security. A master of disguise. He once posed as a new IBM Z15 multiframe stored in a warehouse for almost 36 straight hours in order to successfully allow himself to be installed in a dark server room just to prove he could break into any facility. After the installation, he suffered in the hot, cramped, now operational server for two additional days before emerging a cloud of waste, heat, and stench to declare victory over the blue team. The letters IBM were permanently branded into it. I'm not going to say that. Uh, it's a family show. But please welcome Jason Wood. <laughs> hey, Doug. Good to be back with you again. So uh, <laughs> this week, I decided to let you go ahead and have Colonial Pipeline and not 
comment oh, on it. Oh, thank you so and much. And not steal your story. I thought that was going to be gone for sure. I even pl- I will. I, I even planned for it. I had another. I had a backup story. Uh, in my I head. was <laughs> so tempted. I was. So I thought because I mean every that was that was all the news. I really. threw it out there as, as a you know as a bait for you to take. So I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I left that one alone. All right. But I will say to everybody, if you want to check out something interesting, do some investigation on ransomware as a service uh, groups because uh, man, these things it is wild um, how they operate and what they do. So instead of ransomware as a service and ransomware in general, I actually decided to to pick up on, I picked up on an article in the register about car hacking uh, presentations that were done at Black Hat Asia. And they focused on the Raspberry Pi. Um, so, you know, it's been, uh, obviously the Pi has been a fun platform for everybody for, for various types of projects. Uh, for hacking, for stuff around the house, for running your 3D printer, even I've seen it for running on model train sets. Um, but these guys decided two different groups or presentations focused on using the Raspberry Pi to, um, you know, to 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 go after cars and and uh, see what they could do there to manipulate them. Uh, the first group. Uh, was focused on uh, the car charging stations in particular and electric vehicles. Now, not being an electric car owner, uh, I have I really haven't messed around with the car charging stations, though I have looked at them and wondered just how does that work because nobody's given away uh, that much electricity for free. Um, and apparently the, this group wondered the same thing. Uh, the name of the group is Tencent, or excuse me, the Blade Team, uh, by an organiz- part of an organization named Tencent. Uh, it's a research group based out of China. Uh, they decided to go ahead and start looking at this. And to facilitate their research, get this, they rented five electronic vehicles to conduct their research on. They didn't have them themselves. They didn't get sponsorship to it. They just rented them for a period of time and hopefully didn't uh, brick them. You know, Kind of a gutsy move. I don't know how you would explain that. Um, anyhow, they decided to go ahead and hook in a Raspberry Pi to the, to the car, I'm assuming, um, or maybe some interface between the car and the charging station. I'm not sure how they did that, but I suspected that it was talking to the CAN bus on the vehicle. So it's, it's tying into the cars, what I would picture here and being able to change and manipulate information. They were able to do things like, uh, fuzz the communication, analyze what was happening to it, uh, do some other things. And what they found is that they could uh, essentially avoid paying for the charging of the vehicles. Now, there's all kinds of mechanisms that companies are using to communicate uh, to the charging station and say, hey, um, this is how you build this or how we authenticate. Some, uh, some of the cars are using um, just the VIN number. Others have you know, more uh, proprietary or, or closed type of, of system for doing that authentication. Either way, they were able to get in here and manipulate this and charge their vehicles, I imagine, down at whatever grocery store or market area or something like that uh, without having to actually pay for, for uh, the electricity that they were consuming. Now, um, I thought this was all kind of, inter- all kinds of interesting because, you know, this is, you know, when we talk about a lot of these research projects in the past, you know, people have gotten companies to buy the car or they've done this and that to, to try and make sure that they had all, all the ownership stuff taken care of and they didn't do anything necessarily illegal. Um, 
in this case, you know, they, they, they rented the vehicles and then they, they went out and used charging stations. So that, that was kind of interesting. Uh, they have reported their findings to the vendors uh, and apparently they've been addressed in quotes, whatever addressed means. Uh, the group did note that even though they, uh, you know, as they were looking at this, they did have the ability to change things like the charging voltage and the current being supplied to the car, uh, but that doing that would probably damage the car. So they didn't do that. Um, you know, I like, I just, I keep thinking about this going, I would love to be the fly on the wall when they come in and, you know, uh, so why did you return the vehicle on a tow truck? I don't know. I just plugged it in at the mall. I came back out. It didn't work. I tell you. Um, so, you know, that some definitely some legal concerns here. I doubt the vehicle owners or the charging stations had any involvement in this uh, short of being used. Um, the next project was, it was a little bit more fun to read about. I think just because, um, well, I don't know. There's a, one they were using telegram to to talk to the vehicle and stuff like that and so that got my attention there's also some more information available that i was able to find uh tip for you to read and check out later uh, and i've got the links in the show notes uh, a gentleman by the name of karthik Re- uh karthik laid uh was able to uh basically connect a raspberry pi to a vehicle and interact with the can bus as well now he used a tool called canalize to look at logs and analyze traffic and do different things, but also to hook it up to telegram uh, so that he could send telegram messages to the vehicle basically by, you know, I guess hitting an account and then the, the Pi picks it up and then translates that to some command that gets relayed to the vehicle itself. Um, he was able to control different functions of the car, turn things off and on or, or change settings or, or whatnot. Um, he did make a note that yeah, it is also possible here to brick your car. Um, that would be kind of fun to explain. Hey, is this covered under warranty? I don't think so. Um, so, but you do have, you know, I've got his blog post as well in the show notes and he's got his link to this GitHub repository with Canalize. Uh, it does make the assumption that you have, you know, a car hooked up to a raspberry pi that can run all of this he has a video that walks through this like i said before so check it out if you're interested both of these stories what they immediately brought to mind was the idea that hey um when we put these devices out here charging stations vehicles and stuff like that we've talked about it in the computer security world for a long time physical access is full control there you are. Uh, you know, these stations are sitting out here in a parking lot. You can hook things into the vehicle, all kinds of stuff. We're deploying more and more of these systems out here and and putting them, you know, in more directly control of, of individuals who have varying motivations. Karthik's project, you know, it sounds like he was just having some fun researching, seeing what he could find out, what levels of access he could get. Um, the, the Blade Team's research you know, being able to charge your vehicle for free. I imagine that could get some more traction. I can imagine devices being sold on various sites. Plug this into your car, go down to the ball, get free electricity. You don't have to pay for any of this. Uh, so go ahead and check it out. A lot of fun uh, to see what some of the things that are going on here with the research with our, our vehicle technology. Cool. Thank you, Jason. That's uh I, I, I'm very interested in that. I mean, I, I have an electric car. It's not completely electric. I have a hybrid car, but I have to charge it. And 
it, but it will run on gas. And it does have a very elaborate computer system inside. It's connected. You can connect to it. So it definitely has uh, interesting, interesting possibilities for such things. And so finally, uh, Elon Musk hosted Saturday Night Live on the weekend. Um, a lot of controversy there, but honestly, he wasn't nearly as bad as a, a plenty of other people who have hosted it. And I don't think there's some rule about who can host. I mean, people got all incensed about this, but I'm like, if Dr. Evil, I, I mean, Lorne Michaels says, okay, you can host. Call me, Lauren. I mean, I'm available if you need somebody. Um, Elon and his mom both mentioned Dogecoin as often as they could work it into the conversation of the show. Like, Elon's mom, I hope you didn't get me Dogecoin for Mother's Day, Elon. Elon, yes, it's Dogecoin, mom. Uh, apparently, you know, I mean, they, they was, it was kind of, you know, ridiculous. But uh, apparently Twitter then uh, wasted no time in running scams that were promising fake giveaways from Elon Musk as, uh, you know, like fake uh, giveaways of Dogecoin, of Ethereum, Bitcoins. Uh, and, you know, I didn't get that free PS5 I got a text about this morning. Uh, you know, they, they texted me. They said if I would just reply to this website, I would get a free PS5 because I've been selected. And I'm like, that's, you know, automatically means, you know, you should click that link. But Twitter went crazy with all kinds of stuff that supposedly was from Elon Musk, I guess, targeting people that had watched Saturday Night Live and knew who Elon Musk was. Anyway, next week on SNL, Kim Jong-un with musical guest Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, by the way, if you didn't catch Congressman Jim Langevin on last week, Paul's Security Weekly, go and watch that. It, it was really, really good. Uh, and that's the news in the time of plague. I'm Doug White. Thank you, Jason. We'll see you Friday on the Security Weekly News Wrap-Up Show. 